0: welcome to me time the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say it's my turn to take care of me i'm kim aceto health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now enjoy the show Okay, so today I'm here with Karen Hinton, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about Karen. But before I do that, I want to let you know that um, this is a little longer uh, bio than I usually read um, to introduce my guests, but I want to do so so that you can get. Uh, a better idea of who Karen is and, and why we're going to be talking today. And uh, it just really gives you some really great background on, on the conversation we're going to have. So uh, let me get into it here and then we'll, uh, we'll talk to Karen. So Mississippi native Karen Hinton is the author of Penis Politics, a memoir of women, men, and power. Her memoir is about how girls and women are impacted by sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, abuse, and discrimination told only through colorful, funny, and tragic stories about herself and the girls and women she knew from age 16 to 61. People Magazine recently featured Karen's story, which has also been covered extensively in other broadcast and print media. Her website, penis-politics.com, provides additional media as well as a number of book reviews. Penis Politics has been called a stand by me for girls, with its evocative story of four teenage girls growing up in a small town in Mississippi in the 1970s, harboring a secret that reverberates through their throughout their lives. One of the girls, the shining star among Karen and her friends, is raped by a school official in the book room. She quits school and commits suicide years later. Karen leaves Mississippi for a career in journalism and politics, but. The echoes of Mississippi are never far behind her as she welcomes a powerful public relations and political operative. She becomes a powerful public relations and political operative in Washington and New York City. She served as a communications aide to many Democratic politicians. She was a press secretary for former New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, former housing secretary Andrew Cuomo, the late DNC chair, Ronald Brown, And former US Congressman Mike Espy, the first Black congressman from Mississippi since Reconstruction in 1986, known for never ducking a fire. Hinton was at the peak of her career when a catastrophic brain injury from a freak accident confronted her with the battle of her life. Emerging from a coma, learning to walk and talk again, Hinton was determined to speak up, not shut up, on issues involving women, men, and power in politics. Hinton regularly contributes guest columns to the New York Daily News and other publications focusing on the topics of Me Too, sexual harassment in politics, and skewering big oil, big banks, and other bullies whenever possible. Earlier in her career, Hinton was a journalist in Mississippi and Colorado, a cocktail waitress in Aspen, and a high school teacher in Mississippi. Karen, welcome to the Me Time Midlife Podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me and reading that long bio of all the things I've done. It's, it's good to be reminded that I'm getting old. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I wasn't a perfect
0: reading of your bio, but uh, oh, you, you know, perfect.
1: It was great. I appreciate <laughs> oh, it very much. <laughs>
0: oh, thank you. I think it really gives a good uh, background to um, who you are and uh, why you wrote this book. And I really want to talk more about it. But now you call New Orleans your home. That's right.
1: Right. Yes, yes, my husband is a New Yorker, and we had been to New Orleans many times to see my family in Mississippi, who are two hours away from New Orleans, so we'd always fly into NOLA, take a rental to Mississippi, come back and stay in in New Orleans for at least four or five days, so um, it's just been a a great place for us, and one day he just said, let's move, and I said, okay, I'm ready, let's pack. (laughs) Let's go.
0: Oh, I love that. That's great. And wow, you have such a story. And, um, you know, I mean, a a half an hour is not enough time to talk all about it, but uh, we'll do our best to to talk about what we can. Um, But before we start with all of that, as your first time guest, and as this is the Me Time Midlife podcast, so it's a podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everybody else and now they're starting to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask you, what do you enjoy doing during your me time?
1: Oh, my gosh, there are so many things that I want to do and try to do. And I get very I'm having this frustration as we speak uh, about making my lists in the morning and then being able to check them all off because I never get them all done. <laughs> um, but primarily what I love to do when it's just me and nothing else um, is read a book. <laughs> um, you know, we'll talk about my accident, I guess, at some point, but I had to learn how to, um, walk, talk, (laughs) and get my brain to focus on reading, so that has been a battle for me, and I'm finally getting to a place now where I can read for about 30 minutes and, and not lose my focus, so I'm very proud of that. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah, and, um, but then there's always audio, you know, and you can listen to books now. And so that helps, too.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you, Karen, I mean, that's more than a lot of us can say, being able to sit and focus on a book um, right. with or without a, any kind of brain injury. Right. So, right. so exactly. good to you on that. That's wonderful. And um, what kind of books do you like to read? I'm curious.
1: Well, the, a book sitting right here beside me is called "Mutinous Women. And it was, um, it is about how the French um, basically took women who had been, who were in prison in France and brought them to New Orleans when they were running the, um, the, the country of, of Louisiana at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Because they needed women to um, marry and make more kids and people, more people be in New Orleans um, but they would would but they would take them from prisons and send them over to New Orleans without any really uh, agreement to be sent to New Orleans or uh, they gave them a little money but not much and their job was to basically find a man get married and raise children um, so I haven't gotten I haven't finished it yet but I love this book and um I'm definitely gonna get on social media and promote it. And so hey all you listeners (laughs) by Mutinous Women. It's by Joan Dijon, D-E-J-E-A-N.
0: Wow, that sounds like an incredible book. Yeah. Wow. A heavy book too. (laughs) Geez. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. And um, I, I also wanted to bring up because I talked with you the other the other day, and you talked about how important exercise is for you. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, that's that's one of my messages here is, uh, of course, we want to move our bodies so we can be healthy and we can feel good and we can live longer and all the good things that come with exercise. But I'm wondering if you would just share, uh, you know, how important exercise is for you and why. Oh,
1: I, I'm really glad you brought that up um, because. Every mo- this morning, I, I'm actually here in New York City today because I'm seeing my daughter Tally, who lives in Brooklyn, and I'm helping her with some of her summer school classes <laughs> that she's doing at CUNY Tech in Brooklyn. But I but this morning I got up and I went for my run because I have to do it, or I don't feel complete at the end of the day, and it's a more mental thing than a physical thing. It just gets me to thinking about my life and what I wanna do with it and who I wanna see and who I wanna talk to and what I've forgotten to do. Um, I have some problems with it. If I don't write it down, forget it, it's not happening. Um, So that run sort of stimulates my brain and gets it moving. And it just lets me kind of just plow through, any concerns I have. So physically, yeah, it's great. And and we should do it for that reason as well. But mentally, it's also a really good daily practice if you can find the time to do it. Um, And uh, I'm I'm lucky in some ways because the accident really did change my ability to work um, with others. And, and hit deadlines and that, and that sort of thing. Um, so I have more time on my hands than most women do at my age, which is too bad, you know, that it's like that. And that's something that women as a, uh, a member of the human race um, should really start talking about is how we get employers to sort of create an environment where we have more time for ourselves and for our families.
0: I love that. Agreed. Agreed. And I was going to say you had to learn how to walk again and now you're running. That's incredible too.
1: Well, um, yes, but I will say that I had a trainer in Katona, New York and she, I had been, I had worked out with her uh, before the accident and when I can't, finally got back into working out again, it was probably six, seven months after, um, she helped me go through it because the first few weeks I was a mental mess. I would get so mad and, and, and part of a brain injury is is c- controlling your emotions. And I would go work out with her And there were always other women around, and I would be so upset that I couldn't do it as well as they were doing it. Um, And she would calm me down, get me to a good place. So um, you know, the women you have in your circle of life um, are so important because they know what you're. They have a sense of what you're going through, at least, and sometimes really understand what you're going through and know how to help you. And those women that I worked out with were the key, they were the magic key to open the door.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's great. And you know, uh, you know, women supporting other women is is a big message um, that you have now. And that's, you know, in your book as well. So I'm curious, let's talk a little bit about your book. And let's just start with why you wrote this book. Why did you take the time to, to write a book? It's not easy to write a book. It's not easy to talk about what you talk about in the book. So I'm curious about that.
1: Yes, uh, it is hard to write a book, and I don't think I would have written the book, though, had I not had the accident, hmm. um, because I had to um, recover, and I was taking a lot of different kinds of therapies, speech, uh, cognitive, um, uh, the kind that you work for, what, when you work, it's called... Uh, Occupational? Occupational? Be- occupational thank you see I do this all the time where I just drop words that are obvious to me or should be obvious to me um but so I was doing all this therapy stuff and you know to and I really wanted to go back to work and to do that I had to learn how to write my thoughts down and it was very hard at first I mean and I was very frustrated and would get so upset about it. But one day I was up in our attic and I was looking for something. And I, But what I actually found was a blessing in disguise because I found an old diary that I had written in high school uh, in Soso, Mississippi, and it was full of all these stories of my girlfriend's. And some of them were tearful. Some of them were hilarious. Some of them were, what was I thinking? <laughs> Why did I say that? You know, I mean, so I dug into it. And, you know, oddly enough, it was a lot of pages. I think it was like, you know, 300 pages or more uh, on the, you know, the kind of uh, paper where you have the three holes And the lines across them that you use in a class.
0: Yeah, you're already an author.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just didn't remember or know Right. I mean, I wrote a lot because of my job. I worked in Mm. public relations and press secretary, and you have to learn how to write. Um, But I couldn't, I couldn't get my thoughts together. So I needed, I needed the practice. And Anyway, I brought the the diary down and read parts of it to my husband. And he said, why don't you write this all down and put it in the words of a 59-year-old woman instead of a 14, 15, um, 16-year-old girl. And I said, well, that's a great idea. Maybe I'll do that. And oddly enough, the, the fears that I had always had about writing more than, let's say, 1500 words at a time (laughs) um I lost them I don't know why but I just sat down and started writing and I didn't I didn't stop and try to correct anything and I think if I had not had my brain injured I would have done that I would have been very like oh I can't believe I just wrote that and you know you've seen these images of writers in movies where they zip the paper out or take the paper Mm -hmm. out of the printer and ball it up and throw it in the trash can. You know, that kind of thing. I, I didn't do that. I just wrote. And then my husband is a terrific editor and that was like a recovery time. So at the beginning of this process, it really wasn't about writing a book for real. It was about writing a book to recover Mm. And that's what I did in that process. And we you know it was a good three years of writing what ended up being ninety thousand or so words. Um but I got it done. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I calculated it though, one day, to all the days of, of that I spent writing the book. And I think I maybe got sixteen words a day
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: So maybe. If you get ready to write your book, uh, you can think, I only have to write 16 words a day. That's all, right?
0: Right, right. Well, again, that's a lot more than a lot of us do. So <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Well, thank you for writing this book. And um, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your own personal experience working with um, some of these powerful men in politics.
1: It was an education from the time I was. 22 um, in terms of working for uh, an organization led primarily by white men. Um, And I, from then on had these kinds of experiences that I never could really define um, as harassment or discrimination or abuse simply because I was so young. And I didn't know any better, and we weren't talking about that kind of stuff back in the 70s and the 80s. Um, I'm sure there were women like Gloria Steinem and Jane Fonda, uh, the two that immediately come to mind. Um, but we we couldn't really digest it all and didn't understand it. And so when I went worked for newspapers, I made less than the guys made. I had to fight for my assignments. Um, I didn't get a promotion until I did loudly complain about it, and then finally I did. Um, But by getting the job I really wanted was to cover politics in Mississippi. And I learned so much about politics writ large and as well as uh, racial politics. Um, And of course, Mississippi has a history of, a long history of racism and sexism uh, in its its DNA. And so that was a tremendous experience for me as a reporter to be able to do that. Um, But, you know, again, white men controlled everything. And, you know, I had to work really hard to get what little I got. (laughs) Um, And that made me want to work in politics. I no longer wanted to just observe it and write about it and collect information. Um, I wanted to, to write about it from the perspective of what I thought and work for people who I thought were going to do what I believed to be the right thing. So that led me to Mike Espy, who as you said, became the first black from Mississippi to go to Congress. Um, And then I went to work for Ron Brown, who was the first black chair of the DNC. And uh, that was also a great experience because I got to meet so many people who were really wired in Washington DC at the time Um, and I learned a great deal from them about the political scene. So uh, by the time I got to uh, work for Andrew Cuomo when he was housing secretary, I really understood Capitol Hill by working for Mike Espy in the House, but I also understood how to deal with national political scenes where you're trying to figure out who's going to be your presidential candidate and who's gonna win the primary. And that's what happens at the DNC year round, um, trying to figure that out. And I'm sure they're doing that right now, trying to figure out, is Biden gonna run or is someone else gonna run in 2024? So great experiences. So, But, but by the time I got to Andrew Palmer, I really sort of was understanding how Washington worked. And the one issue that was always Plaguing not just me, but practically every woman in Washington, was uh, sexual harassment, um, sexual overtures, sexual misconduct between women who worked for a, a male member of Congress, or who had a chief of staff who was man, and they usually all were men. There were some women chief of staffs, but not many. Most of the women did the leg hard work, you know, um, in the office. And you, ha- I had to learn how to deal with that and how to avoid it as much as possible, which is what I did. I just tried to stay away from it. So if I got a, a flirt or an overture or something said to me, I walked away from it. I never reported it though, because I never felt like I had the right to report it, um, and that only started to become a much bigger issue. Um, by the time Bill Clinton is president, and he has, as you know, you know women coming and uh, talking about experiences they'd had with him when he was um, wanting to have sex with them or some type of sexual misconduct, leading finally to Monica Lewinsky, who unfortunately was treated so badly by not just the Democratic Party, Uh, Democratic consultants, um, but also by the mainstream media and the way she was treated then. I'll stop there in case you want to ask anything. I've gone on for too long. Yeah,
0: no, no, this is great. I'm so enthralled with (laughs) what you're talking about. This is wonderful. Um, Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. And, you know, so much has happened with the um, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial yeah. and, and, and all of that. And, um, and I know you, you talk, you talked to me last time about um, there are women, there's a group of women, I guess, on Twitter who are protecting Andrew Cuomo, saying nice things about him. Um, and then the same is happening now with, uh, with Amber Heard as well. I'm, I'm seeing that there are women who are, um, right. you know, saying bad things about her as well. Uh, she lost this case. Um, I'm curious, you know, why do not all women, but why do you think some women, um, when, when really we need to be coming together to support each other, to listen to each other, to believe each other's stories, right? Why do you think there are women out there who are, are so quick to deny things that have happened to them or, or other, um, stories about other women who have had, uh, similar, uh, you know, sexual harassment issues, um, that would come up in, in their life and not just at work, at home, um, in mm-hmm. families, I mean, all kinds of uh, places. Why do you think uh, women tend to protect men sometimes?
1: That's a great question and a hard one to answer, but here's my um, swing at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think that many times uh, when this happens, a woman is looking up to the man who's been accused and this happened with Andrew Cuomo and it happened with Johnny Depp, as someone they admired that they maybe even had some kind of sexual desire for um, and they were daydreaming about it sometimes <laughs> um, or maybe they had had an encounter with him once or twice and they thought he was just a lovely man and they wanted him to succeed and then to discover then that there are these 11 women if you count me 12 who were saying he was he uh practiced some type of sexual misconduct definitely in the workplace this is Andrew Cuomo I'm talking about um that you know they suddenly became angry with not just the women but with themselves because they couldn't really figure out, um, how, do I, how do I cope with this? And the only way to do that is to fight back, is to get in the battle and push back on those women. Um, but that, that hurts them um, because it just makes the fight to end this type of behavior in the workplace end. Or any other place for that matter, but for it to end. And if women stand up as a group um, and really express their outrage and concern and offer up their solutions, um, that's really important because it is so pervasive in our society. And, you know, they say, well, why would she care if he put his hand across her stomach lightly? and down her back to her behind why would they care that's not a big deal and he only did it two times or three times well, i mean you, you know you you're not in that woman's shoes you don't know all the little things that happened before he put his hand on her back and after he put his hand on her, her stomach um you just don't know all in the context of whatever it was the relationship had evolved And I'll just do a side note here. It was very upsetting to me that the district attorneys who looked at the sexual uh, misconduct claims after the attorney general did her report, the district attorneys, I think there were four or five of them who did, who said, you know, just what he did just doesn't hit the mark on a criminal charge in our sexual harassment laws. And my reaction to that is, A, you're a district attorney. You're supposed to go after crimes that should not be committed. And you're choosing, you're you're deciding not to bring a charge against him because you're afraid you might lose. Well, maybe you won't lose. Maybe you'll get in a courtroom and use that law that exists today to the best of your ability to get a conviction and to show that this is not allowed. They didn't do that. Not one of them took it upon themselves to get out there and really fight for a right that women have not to be harassed, discriminated against, or abused. And when you put your, this is the governor doing this, when you put your hand down a woman's blouse and grope her breast. I'm sorry, but that to me is just clean cut um, a misconduct. And especially when it's happening in your office. Right. And the right. woman works for you. So um, it was just, you know, really difficult to. To accept what these district attorneys said, because, and now you see what happened with the Johnny Deb and the um, Amber Heard case, uh, because it, it was clear that the social media was very much, women and men were very much pounding on Heard and um, not Deb, and that Deb was, you know, all these bad things that were revealed in the trial to me were signs of domestic abuse of um, the things he said to her wrote to her what she said he did uh, they all just add up to domestic violence but this jury i think were reading all the social media when they went home at night um and got somehow caught up in it and anyway that's that's a long story but you know, we have to, as women, we have to say, okay, I I believe her, and I'm going to hear out whatever happens in a court of law, or I'm going to hear his story and her story. Um, But in the meantime, don't assume that what she's saying is a lie until you know it to be a lie. And that is what's happened, what I saw happening with Andrew Cuomo. Um, and you know when he is forced then to resign because he doesn't want to be impeached and 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 then the resignation creates the stir among I'm not saying it's a large group it's a small group of women who are very vicious online and and that is something that we have to try to work on um, to get more women to understand that it's it's worth And even if you don't get online, you do nothing on social media, but just internalize the fact that, you know, it's very likely this woman is telling the truth. And so let's see how it plays out instead of just immediately thinking she's lying.
0: Yeah, I mean... I mean, men have a part to play in this and and they, they need to stop this behavior, obviously. Um, And women also, we need to speak up and speak out about what's happened to us. I mean, honestly, Karen, I don't know one woman uh, who has not had some kind of a a pass, an unwanted pass uh, made at her. Um, I visited my parents recently. And, um, I brought home some of my yearbooks from high school and junior high, and I was looking through those yearbooks and, uh, you know, looking back at pictures of boys I went to school with and, you know, there was stuff happening at my school and, and every school and stuff happened to me and stuff happened to my friends. And we just, we never talked about it, you know, and, and I really love your message about, you know, we. In the very least, we need to speak up about what has happened to us and um, we need to tell each other and we need to support each other as women. Um, and we need to come together. So I, I really love your message. And I wish we had more, we're just about out of time, Karen, but I could talk with you for hours. Um, so, but hopefully, a listeners got a, an idea of what your book is about. And I'm going to put your uh, link to to the book and, and information about yourself and all of that uh, in right. the show Thank notes. You. It's penis-politics.com. And then you also are on Instagram. So I'm going to put that um, handle in the show notes as well. Karen, it was really great talking with you. Thank you for writing this book. I mean, I could have just had a conversation with you about your recovery from your accidents. I think that could have been a whole, whole episode right there, because I'm just so interested in, in how you recovered and came back and then wrote a book. And, um, you know, now you're, you run every day and, and how important that is to you. Um, it's incredible. So thank you again, so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening.
0: If you find the me time midlife podcast valuable, please tell your friends about it. And if you haven't yet, you can also subscribe to the podcast or leave a positive rating or review, which is always greatly appreciated. If you're on Facebook, you can stay up to date with the latest episodes by following my coaching page, transformation wellness for women. And finally, if you've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me, I invite you to join our Me Time Midlife community on Facebook, where we continue the conversations we have here on the podcast. Simply go to MeTimeMidlifePodcast.com and click on Me Time Midlife Community to learn more and join us today. It's an honor to produce this podcast for you. So thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.